You're listening to the sermon podcast from House for All Sinners and Saints. We are an Evangelical Lutheran Church in America congregation in Denver, Colorado, and you can find out more about us at www.houseforall.org. Grace, peace, and mercy are yours from the triune God. Amen. So I don't know if you've ever heard or read uh, our uh, founding pastor Nadia's sermon about her first experience of Advent. In it, she talks about singing Hold an Evening Prayer, which we will begin singing this Wednesday night. Uh, Nadia says that singing Advent Vespers that first time was one of the most beautiful experiences of her whole life. The light of the candles, the silence in the cold of winter... It was all just so transcendent. My first experience of Advent, on the other hand, was nothing like that. It kind of starts off good. Uh, My first experience of Advent was when I was living in Venice, Italy. This was the first time I ever lived abroad. And Venice is beautiful and quiet in the winter. There's a layer of thick fog that floats on the top of the water and it glides across the cobblestone streets and makes everything look magical and haunting, kind of like straight out of a Edgar Allan Poe story. So one Sunday morning in December, I decided to go to church and I had not been to church since I came out to my parents earlier that summer and And that's when my father told me to never come home again. Until that day, it had just felt too painful to go to church. But that Sunday, I was ready. And there just happened to be this small Anglican chapel on my block. It was one of the few churches with services in English, and my Italian simply wasn't church-ready. So I walked down the street and into this musty, damp old chapel. I think there were probably only 10 or so other people in there. There was no choir or procession. There wasn't even a praise band. <laughs> just, an elderly, <laughs> just an elderly priest and somebody else who read the gospel. And they, they read the one that we just heard chanted. Be on guard. Be alert. But then it came time for the sermon, and the the priest came down and stood right in front of the pews. And this is the thing I will always remember about my first advent. He goes, I bet none of y'all out there even know what today is. It's the first Sunday of Advent, but I doubt you even knew that. I doubt you probably think it's already Christmas. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> yeah, it was a delightful sermon. <laughs> like, it was as if he thought his job was to shake us from our stupor so that we would finally realize how much our lives actually sucked by not being totally in sync with the liturgical calendar. So not surprisingly, his sermon had the opposite effect on me that I think he probably 
wanted it to have. I, I walked away from that chapel certain that whatever Advent was, if it was that dreadful, that anxiety-inducing, I wanted no part in it. Which is honestly kind of how I felt this week when I first sat down and read today's gospel, where Jesus ends by saying, be on guard so that that day doesn't catch you unexpectedly like a trap, and be alert at all times. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) seriously, at first glance, that sounds a lot like anxiety to me. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds a lot like the worry and fear that before I went into recovery kept me locked in my room for days. That sounds like the kind of hypervigilance, the always afraid that the other shoe is going to drop kind of nonsense that I and I'm certain so many others in this room have spent thousands of hours in therapy and meetings, acupuncture and self-help books trying to recover from. So when I first read this, I was like, Jesus, I want my money back. I'm taking the Advent wreath and the blue lights back to Home Depot because I don't want anything to do with an Advent if what you're saying is that your coming into the world means that there's more anxiety in store for us. Plus, I mean, how much more hypervigilant do you want us to be? Like, we have apps for that now. Our phones light up every time something awful happens or when Kim Kardashian changes her clothes. We do well enough on our own being fearful at every turn. And so because I am so committed to this idea that the good news of Jesus Christ must be actual good news... I just can't believe that what he's asking is for us to be more anxious. To spend our lives reading the tea leaves, trying to crack the code, to make sense of our friend's vague booking, or going back to read and reread emails or texts, wondering what they really meant when they said, let's just be friends. I just can't believe that Jesus wants us spending our lives trying to guess at what's going to happen next. When is it going to fall apart? Because Jesus is the one who also says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Fear not, little flock, for it is God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Jesus is constantly pointing to nature to relieve our anxieties, to remove that sense of dread so that our faith, so that it's like relaxing with an old friend, as James Allison puts it. Which is what I believe Jesus is actually doing in today's gospel. Particularly when he uses the image of the fig tree. 
Here Jesus explains something that everyone already knows. That when leaves start sprouting, that means it's spring, which means the next season will be summer. It's so obvious. It's like Jesus is saying one plus one equals two, which means one plus two equals three. Which makes me wonder if what Jesus is really saying here is that the coming of God into the world, the birth of love is as certain and predictable as the coming of summer after spring. That we can count on God showing up. We can count on love being reborn. So go look for that. Go look for the thing that is certain because God is as close as the next breath. But Jesus' words, they had to have shocked those first century listeners because what Jesus was saying, it turned everything they had ever heard about the end of the world on its head. Because this passage from Luke, it comes from a a longer section that's often called the Little Apocalypse. We've talked a lot about the Little Apocalypse and about apocalypse in general in this community. And so it won't be news to many of you that Apocalypse actually means an unveiling or a revealing. Apocalypses reveal things that are hidden but have been there all along. Just like the Me Too movement and Black Lives Matter or even all of our recent elections that have thrown our country into a tailspin, yet they show us divisions and prejudices that have been there for a long, long time. That's apocalypse generally speaking. But the apocalyptic prophecies that folks in first century Palestine were used to, they were usually bizarre, esoteric visions. They were full of complicated symbols and numbers. And there were lots of apocalyptic prophets roaming around ancient Israel. And the way these prophecies were supposed to work was if you could crack the code and understand all the complicated symbols, then you would gain like special insight into when God is going to send the next disaster and then you could get in on God's good side and not be destroyed. Almost like today's conspiracy theorists. (laughs) They offered a kind of cliff notes for understanding the whole world. But Jesus' apocalypse is totally different. He never says God is angry. He never says God will one day send a disaster and here's how to figure it all out. Instead, what he says is, don't try and figure it all out because there's nothing to figure out. It's actually all very simple. The kingdom of God is here. Sure, bad things will happen. Really awful things will happen and they will happen to everyone We can count on that. But that has nothing to do with God. God is not the one sending these awful things. God is the one who comes in the wake of those things and gives you the strength and the hope to keep going. God is the one who shows up to help you light a candle in the night. 
God is the one who reminds us that even as we walk through the shadow of death, babies are being born and that flowers are springing up in the desert. God is the one who whispers into our heart when we hit rock bottom that this is not the end, it's just the beginning. So Jesus says, don't read the tea leaves. Because the only thing we actually need to know is that we are God's beloved. And that God will not let us go until all our hearts and the hearts of all people have been lifted up and transformed. <clears throat> so last week, um, my therapist stopped me in the, in the middle of a session and said, yeah, I'm pretty sure you are what we call a highly sensitive person. <laughs> or HSP. I'd never heard this term before. I, but I wasn't shocked by this. <laughs> I've heard it before. The way my super polite and southern mother puts it is, Reagan, you are extremely observant. <laughs> uh, my therapist also told me that HSPs tend to gather together in the same communities <laughs> and circles. <laughs> And so I figured it's not a stretch to assume that there are a bunch of other HSPs here today. And so if you're like me, and the last thing you need is an advent that invites you to be even more hypervigilant than you normally are, I'm here to tell you that this kind of advent, that hypervigilant advent, is a lie. An anxious advent is a servant of the same anxiety that feeds CNN and Fox News and terrorism and the lynching tree. But that's not the advent that God actually invites us to. The advent that God actually invites us to is the one where we are gathered around God's broken body broken out for us so that more love will be born among us. Thanks be to God. You have been listening to the sermon podcast for House for All Sinners and Saints. If you like what you've been hearing and would like to support the ongoing ministry of our church, just go to our website, www.houseforall.org, and click on Give.